Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
All right, beautiful people. Thank you for joining me this morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5. This is Nube, your host of Prison Focus Radio. Again, thank you so much for joining me. We have a really exciting show. I'm always excited about this show because the people that I get to interact with um, are just constantly inspire me to no end. I am always so moved on so many levels about what it is that they are sharing with us. And I'm so excited always and so blessed to be in a position to share this with you. So before we get started, I want to tell you about a few things uh, that I uh, get from the Equal Justice Initiative calendar. It's the last month of the year, and I can't wait to get my uh, next year's. But let me tell you, on December 1st in 1955, Rosa Parks is arrested for refusing to give up her seat to a white passenger on a city bus in Montgomery, Alabama. December 2nd in 1922, eugenicist Henry Laughlin publishes Model Sterilization Law, which 18 states pass in the following five years. That's right here, people, in America. On December 3rd in 1970, Cesar Chavez is jailed in Montgomery County, California, after he refuses to follow a court order demanding that he call off a migrant farm worker strike against a lettuce farm. Listen, these are all actions that community members are taking. Uh, Sorry, Cesar Chavez and Rosa Parks, okay? And these are all issues that we as community members have to get behind. They, they, they happen either way, whether we are, um, when we're there to stand up and uh, participate. So if we don't want certain things to happen, like sterilization, because we know that's happening within our prisons, then we got to be able to stand up and be informed as citizens. We got to reclaim our power, people. And this is really what this is about. Uh, today's show, again, we have to start listening to the people inside, the prisoners. They've got solutions. They have commentary. They have ideas and visions and dreams about the situation that is uh, facing us right now, which is the continued crime against humanity called slavery. Now, I know a lot of people have a hard time hearing that there's slavery happening in 2020, but it is and it is inside of our prisons. Please check out the 13th Amendment, which clearly states neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Again, the word there, the operative word is except. And the phrase is as a punishment for crime. Okay, we know that since slavery and through today, they have made so this system has created a basically a, a, a system of crimes that people, everyday people, and we know that there are groups of people, black people, people of color, indigenous people, who are being subjected to this punishment by of the, the quote crimes that are being um, that are supposedly being convicted. All right, I know that that's a big 
issue and we, we often do get into it. But without further ado, I do want to introduce our guest. His name is Craigan Armstrong. And he um, is going to be talking about uh, the, the, the program and the solution that he and his um, friend inside, another prisoner, started on the inside. We are uplifting the amazing work that continues to come from inside of our prisons that we need to be paying attention to. So here's the overview around the book called The Solution, Mental Health Assistance, Bridging the Gap to Effective Treatment by Craig and Armstrong and Adrian Baruman. And you can find this book at store.bookbaby.com. There is an ebook version, and you can also find this book in paperback as well, in a print version. Here's the overview of the book. Two inmates charged with murder in L.A. County Jail take on one of the biggest problems to date, incarceration of people with mental illness. Not only is this a pressing issue within jails and prisons, the lack of treatment and support for people with mental illness is contributing to our homeless, homeless issues throughout Los Angeles and the rest of the country. The solution details effective strategies and successful methods for treating and caring for the mentally challenged. It is presented as a three-part analysis on how patients, those are the called inmates here, are treated, the structure under which treatment is delivered, and the goal of the mental health assistants who deliver the treatment. It also highlights the effort and teamwork necessary to make this treatment a success in the incarcerated environment. Finally, the solution is a demonstrative guide for those who desire a successful treatment program of their own. All right, without further ado, like I said, Let's get started with Craigan Armstrong talking about the solution, mental health assistance. This call is being recorded. Okay, so, well, I'm, I'm housed in Los Angeles County Correctional Facility, um, Twin Towers. And my job here, you know, as a mental health assistant, is to take care of, basically, we help the sheriff's department and we help the, the mental health staff um, with treating the mentally ill. Um, essentially, our role is is really to bridge the gap. You know, there's a gap between um, the inmates, the patients, and the mental health staff. And what I what I mean by a gap is that this place, that the jail is so overcrowded, it's so many inmates that it's hard for the clinicians and the doctors to really get time to properly diagnose and prescribe medication. So with me and my partner here, um, what we do is we relate important information to them because we live with the inmate 24-7. So this information that we're able to convey to them what this does is it, it enables them to make a more accurate diagnosis, you know, um, as far as um, adjusting their medication, um, maybe certain treatment that they may need. This is this 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 helps them a lot. Um, we began this role as a mental health assistant maybe a year and a half ago, but we started out as just a common general population inmate. Um, we were housed across the street, which is adjacent to 
the Twin Towers, which is Mass Central, and the difference between the two jails is that Mass Central is mostly housed with inmates who can, you know, kind of make their own way through the legal system. They can take care of themselves. Um, they can manage their own um, legal affairs. So you have more competent inmates, which we call general population. Twin Towers is housed with all inmates here or housed here. Um, they're suffering from mental disease. Aside from ourselves as mental health assistants and what we call trustees who are here only to clean and pass out food. So you have two towers, seven floors on each tower, and every inmate here has some kind of mental discomfort that requires some type of help or assistance, whether it's showering, brushing their teeth, or trying to figure out their court process. Um, when we were in, we in Men's Central across the street, we enrolled into the education-based incarceration program, which is a school program for you know, inmates willing to, you know, they want to better themselves. Um, during the course of this, going through the school process. This call is being recorded. There's the opportunity to be relocated in the towers and to assist the mentally ill. Um, so, and, and in order to do that, you have to complete a certain amount of classes. You have to have good attendance in school. You have to do these things. And then you apply, you know, you write your letter and you, you have an interview and you, you know, you show, um, basically you're showing the staff, well, how can I contribute? Um, but keep in mind, we don't have, we don't have really no idea of what we're walking into. Well, I was just going to ask you, I, I, sorry, I just had to interrupt for a second. So you're asking to be a professional and a go-between with people that have serious issues. The people that are the professionals are completely, I mean, there are way too many patients for them to care for. So you're asking to step in and there's just two of you? Right, it's just two of us. So, and, and, we, and, and we have no training. So, right. you know, when we're across the street in school, we're going to school for, you know, um, substance abuse, anger management, these things will be kind of benefit self, you know, this is self, you know, you're, you're trying to, um, you know, better yourself. There's, mm -hmm. there's nothing that prepares you for this environment. So that was, uh, that's, that's the, the most important thing that, that like, we want to highlight is that, you know, the, 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 the general kind of thought is we just bring these inmates over here and we just put them in here and we just want them to help. We just want them to help assist. Um, I don't think there was too much, and I don't think it was, uh, I don't think for, like for the administrators, they were able to foresee this far of how important this role would become. I think in the beginning what it was more of just put them in there and just help them shower. But this is a very um, fragile population, and it's in a very important role for the inmate that is of assistance. And I don't really think that was, they could foresee that, you know, um, this role being that important. But there's a lot more that goes into it that we had to learn and that we recognized that, wow, this is like a real important role. And that's what kind of um, sparked our, our motivation and, 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 and to kind of, um, you know, put some structure in place a bit and, and develop a training 
for other inmates that's coming over. Because when we're across the street, I mean, the environment is is like apples and oranges. I mean, across the street, it's, it's, it's mostly gang violence, and um, there's a lot of violence going on, um, whether it's racial or gang politics. So the environment is, is, is a lot different, you know. And, um, your mind state is different in that environment. Um, so it's a challenge even trying to get up and go to school every day because we're housed in, in 100-man dorms where there's all kind of stuff going on. So you have to kind of maneuver that, you know, and still go to class, still go to school. And, you know, you put in for your, your position to be relocated and to help out over here. We have no idea kind of what we're walking into. So once we get over here, this is 2017, um, we're kind of, you know, checking it out. And basically what we're doing is we're kind of facilitating, basically. So they have a teacher come in, teaches them, we help the teacher. They may have a group of water come in. Um, we assist whatever they want us to do. Um, we help the guys shower, clean themselves. We encourage them to brush their teeth. And we may put on a movie for them to watch, things like that. But what This call is being recorded. You know, the, the the medication they have to take their medication, and due to the the you know the amount of inmates in this jail and the, the shortage of of clinicians, um, nurses, uh, what happens is there is more emphasis placed on getting the job done instead of emphasis placed on you know, making sure it's done right for the benefit of the patient. And that was something that we recognized, you know, early on is that, okay, we're seeing that, you know, some of these inmates aren't taking their medication because the nurse doesn't have time to sit there and make sure, you know. Um, so this, so, so once we've seen this, we say, okay, this is the problem because now, you know, most of the floors in the towers, majority, especially in, in our tower, they come out handcuffed because a lot of them um, are unpredictable, some get violent due to their illness. But in our particular unit, there's no handcuffs. You come out unhandcuffed, you're able to come out. We have activities, we have all kind of activities where from movie watching to karaoke to art, we have these activities. Um, but they have to take their medication because we want to make sure everyone is on the same page and everyone is in there and, and, and you know, um, comfortable with each other. And if you have someone that's not taking their medication, there's a potential that they can decompensate, have a psychotic episode, and then you have a problem on the day room. So, this, so that's the most important here is you take your medication. And that's where a lot of our incentives come from. But what, 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 is, what do you mean by incentives? So we incentivize here. Um, we we have something that we developed on our own called the Five Star Program, where we, where we developed, a, um, we designed a checklist that we put on their door with their name on it, and and, and it's just um, basic things that you know an average person does every day, but a person that suffers from mental illness either forgets or it's not that important to them. And 90% of our patients are suffering from schizophrenia, and one of the the symptoms or, or the, 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 you know, of, of schizophrenia is that you, you kind of neglect your self-care. 
So you really don't care to shower. You really don't care to brush your teeth. Those things are not important. The, the thing that's most important to a person that suffers from schizophrenia is maybe some food, um, some sleep, um, that, and that's basically it. When it comes to brushing your teeth, they could care less. When it comes to showering, that's not even on their mind. So we have to... This call is being recorded. ...to constantly encourage and... We have to use incentives sometimes, and these incentives is we a big one is coffee, um, extra food, um, different kind of snacks that they wouldn't usually get, you know, from the jail, which we are a special program, so we can get, um, you know, different snacks that that may be a little different that would they'll kind of give them that motivation, okay? And then we developed a five star program, so as mental mm -hmm. health assistant. I just want to interrupt you for just a second because I need to make this clear. So yeah. you and your fellow um, prisoner, you developed a program because Correct. basically what's happening is, if, I'm going to put it this way, you can tell me if I'm wrong, there is a setup for medical neglect here because you have professional people that clearly not enough professional people, um, whatever um, diverted funds um, are not going to the proper people. So you have not enough trained individuals inside of a mental health facility of the Twin Towers Jail. Um, and because of this gap, they have other prisoners, untrained, who are figuring it out themselves, who are supposed to literally just be giving whatever help that they can. And the two of you who are also not able to uh, fill the gap of people that aren't being taken care of, have developed a program, um, a, a, a checklist, an incentivized program to make sure that people at least are getting the medications and, they, and some kind of care that they can. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, so so in a sense, so what, what I'd like to attribute it, a lot of this to is it's basically the, the the system as a whole. Mm -hmm. You know, the system here in, in Los Angeles County and maybe even throughout the country, I mean, you have uh, uh, an exorbitant amount of people that's incarcerated. Like, it's too many, too many. Mm -hmm. to begin with. Right? right. So you so you, so you begin with a, a jail that's overcrowded. Mm -hmm. You begin with um, um, conditions that are, you know, unfit for for you know, this this many people. So human habitation. <laughs> right. So what happens is you you you're not able to have quality care. It, 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 it's impossible to have quality care with overcrowded and and conditions that that are, are as such. So what happens is people are overloaded. It it, it, it so you have nurses that, that they're working Overtime, you have deputies that are working overtime, and this is not a—I don't want to say this is a fault on the department or any one person. I think it's a, a, as a whole, the system is just overburdened. It's, it's just—it's just, it, just they just can't care for each and every person like you would expect. Um, and I'll go into that um, because we 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 have also. Um, created a, uh, a plan where we have a vision where we envision a 
place that will provide better care, and that's something we're working on as, as well. But right here, right now, what you're seeing is that it, there's not enough quality care for these individuals based on the system and the shortfalls that are, are here. So what, what we have is a nurse that is trying to service I don't know how many inmates in a certain amount of time. They have to go to this floor to pass out medication. They go to this floor to pass out medication. So it's, it's, it's hard for them to, you know, uh, make sure that each and every single individual takes their medication. And when I mean mm-hmm. take it, I mean actually swallow it and take it, right? Well, they need to be in a mental, they need to be in a facility, not a jail. They need to be in a facility where other qualified individuals are working under these, working. Exactly. So, so, and that's essentially, that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to treat people in a place that's not designed to be treated. So, and this is what you get. This is the, this is the result. So what we're, and, and us recognizing this, so what we decided to do, we said, okay, we're going to make sure that at least the guys in our pod take their medication, you know, and how do we do this? Um, sometimes we have to trail the nurse. We have to walk with the nurse. And as the nurse moves on, you know, we stand there with the guy and make sure he takes it. You know, sometimes the nurse, sometimes you have nurse that moves, moves kind of fast and the guy is still has it. So we're there to make sure he takes it. But what we're trying to establish... This call is being recorded. What we're trying to establish is a habit where where our, our thing is, okay, you're going to do good in this program while we're here. You're going to take your medication. You're going to shower. You're going to do all these things while, while you're here. You're going to be great. What happens once you leave 141 F-Pod in... Twin Towers Correctional Facility. That's our main concern. So that was a lot of what we're doing is we're trying to establish a habit that that, that leaves with them. So you don't need no one over you to make sure you take it. And that's a very, very challenging thing to do because one thing that we have fighting against us is meth amphetamine. And once they get out and this drug, they get a hold of this drug, everything goes out the door. So that's one thing that, that we're constantly struggling with. But, you know, we, we developed certain programs and incentives that, you know, have we seen some, some, a lot of success, and we believe that some of our guys here will get out and be okay. We can't say it for a, a, a good amount, but for a few that, you know, we see these habits that they've developed and without an incentive sometimes, they're doing it. So, um, I mean, that's a that's a uh, a big success in our view. Just you know that they, they're starting to, you know, exercise these habits without even having the um, incentive. But I mean, essentially, so so that's what that's basically what we're doing. And let me say that our original title was a merit master. So a merit master, and the merit is, a, is an acronym, so it stands for Maximizing Education, Reaching Individual Transformation. And what a merit master does across the street in a jail that I mentioned before, which is Man Central, they to say the name of it is Maine Central. Call is being recorded. It's merit. 
M-E-R-I-T. No, sorry, the name of the prison across the street from oh, Twin Towers. Men's, Men's Central. Men's Central, okay, great. And so you developed merit. merit. No, we didn't develop merit. We developed mental health assistance. Okay, okay, got it. Okay, so so okay. We, we started out as merit. And okay. a, merit master, a merit master position is, is to encourage guys within the jail to enroll in the, in the school program, which is the education-based incarceration program. Yeah. Okay. And we go around, you know, to different units, and we encourage guys to sign up, and you kind of act as a, uh, you know, a, a leader in some sense, um, a mentor. Um, you may teach a group, you know, um, help help your helping the teachers in school. Once we moved over here, we're not doing any of that. Our job is solely treating and taking care of those that are mentally disabled and we felt like okay our title is not correct you know we're, we're working with doctors we're working with clinicians we're working hand in hand with the los angeles sheriff's department we are um learning about different medications side effects we're learning about all these things and our proper role is a mental health assistant Absolutely, so yeah. You're being exploited for your labor without getting the benefit. Right. So we advocated. Sorry. Sorry. You know, <laughs> no, 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 no. You're good. So we advocated because we said, okay, you know what? Our proper role and what we're doing here is we're mental health assistance. And the and the and the one of the the, the biggest um, motivators for us was that we were we had a. Uh, you know, the clinicians and a lot of the psychiatrists, they were kind of standoffish. You know, they you know, they didn't want to talk to us at first because mm -hmm. we're inmates. So mm -hmm. so so there's this um this you can't fraternize. they got fraternization But there's the disconnect though, because they're that's yeah. who they're caring so, so, for. I mean they're caring right. for prisoners. Apparently. So not supposedly. So and exactly, but it's you know it, 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 it gets complicated because there's a lot of rules in place to, you know, protect the facility or security and safety. So you don't want to get close to the inmate because there's a chance for manipulation. So you have all these things that you're kind of you're trying to overcome to um, um, create a better outcome for the individual. So in order for us to get this 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 kind of leeway, we, we needed to uh, 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 open the door for us to even have these conversations with the clinicians mm -hmm. and the doctors. We had to advocate to change our role. And in changing our role, you know, we said, well, look, every position in the jail has their own attire. And us changing our role, we believe that we should have our own attire as well. Mm -hmm. Before, as merit masters, we wore blue pants and uh, blue, who are blue pants and a white top, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. if you take off our white top, which is like an over, over top, if you take that off, we have a white shirt on and blue pants, and we're out here working, right? So just mm -hmm. imagine you have an inmate, he's in the pod, he has on blue pants and a white T-shirt that says L.A. County Jail um, on the front of it, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, now, on other floors, Guys wear, well, let me say, guys who have mental illness, they wear a yellow top and blue pants, right? Oh, okay. And they take off their yellow top, they look 
just like us. Okay, so now you can't differentiate who is the helper and who is the one that has mental illness. And the clinicians that work in here, they see other guys on other floors who have white shirt, blue pants, and they're allowed to do small little chores around the pod, even though they have mental illness. So when they come to this floor, we're trying to relate information to them. We're trying to tell them, look, we live here. We do not have mental illness. We do not take medication. We want to give you some important information that we think you should know that will help your diagnosis and maybe help your medication adjustment or administration. But they're like, well, look, you are on meds or you may have mental illness because they can't. This call is being recorded. Cannot differentiate us from the guys who don't and the guys who do. So we had to advocate and advocate and advocate. And we finally got clearance that, look, you guys can wear white pants and white shirt. So now we stand out and we look different. So now when we come, right, so it's like, okay, so who are the guys in the white pants? I've never seen that before because it's only two of us between both jails. So you would never see this, this uniform. We stand out. So it's like, who are the guys in the white pants? Oh, those are the mental health assistants. They do not take medication. They are not suffering from any type of mental discomfort. And that gives us the opportunity now to approach the doctor or the clinician and say, hey, I know you got patients in my pod. I just want to let you know that I live here with them 24-7, seven days a week. I mean, 365 days a year. I don't want to take no vacations, no days off. I see things that you don't see. I hear things that you don't hear. I know things that you don't know. And I believe if we can somehow open a line of communication and talk, that this will help you when you're treating this patient because we know that you have potentially a caseload of maybe 30 or 40 guys, and you only get about 20 minutes to pull this patient out the cell and talk to him, and there's no way that you can really make an accurate or a, um, I want to say, quality uh, uh, diagnosis or evaluation in that snapshot because this is what happens. A guy could have been flooding the night before. A guy could have been having an episode the night before, banging on the door, doing whatever, The next morning, the clinician comes, pulls him out, and he's fine, right? He goes out, answers all the questions, um, says everything is okay. They send him back in, but they never knew about the behavior the night before. So what they do, they leave the medication the same. They don't change it. They don't make any alterations to any of the notes or anything. And it's, it's like, okay, this guy is doing well. Well, when we're saying, no, the guy was just drinking his urine last night, or he just, mm. you know, you, you don't have this information. So we felt that was, that's like very, very important for you to have this so you can see, okay, there's a pattern here. He, maybe we need to, you know, change his medication. Maybe he's not on the right medication. Maybe he needs more of this and more of that. And once we were able to make that connection and, and open that door, we have... I mean, we've decreased psychotic episodes in our pod. We've decreased, um, you know, guys drinking their own urine. Um, we've decreased a lot of that just by that. This call is being recorded. Just by that simple move right there. 
All right. If you are just tuning in, this is Prison Focus Radio, and I am your host, Nubi Brown. I have been in conversation with Craig and Armstrong. He is the co-author of the book, The Solution, Medical Health Assistance. And this is work that's being done from inside of a prison down in Los Angeles. So if you would like to hear um, the rest of this conversation, then please come back with us, uh, join us next week. And you can hear this show and past shows wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Prison Focus Radio and also by going to the California Prison Focus website at www.prisons.org. Also, I want to remind all of you that we are still in a fun drive for KPOO San Francisco 89.5. This amazing station needs your help, but it's also we want your help and I think you want to give your help because it exists because of all of you. This is a community-sponsored radio station, uh, black-owned, black-run, over 40 years old. We need this um, station to continue, and I'm always, again, so grateful for this hour that we are given here uh, at Prison Focus Radio to provide a platform for those voices that we don't normally hear if you want to send in your donation, you will send that to KPOO, P.O. Box 156650, San Francisco, California, 94115. Or you can donate online by going to KPOO.com and make a donation there. All right, we're going to just hear the last words from Craig and Armstrong about where uh, we can get this amazing book, The Solution, Medical Health Assistance. And then we're going to hear from prisoners and their loved ones about what looks to be deliberate indifference being practiced by guards and um, under the watch of the governors and COVID-19 being used as a weapon. I mean, you're offering something so beautiful here. What's the name of the book? So the book is The Solution Mental Health Assistance. And it's available at store.bookbaby.com but you can get the ebook um, wherever wherever you go um, Amazon Apple Books um, Kobo, Walmart wherever you go to get an ebook you can get the ebook but the print version is available um, at store.bookbaby.com um yeah, and, and 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 basically what it what it it, it it's given the overview is kind of showing okay what we're doing here, who we're treating, um, and it shows a lot of the things that we put in place, you know, as far as the structure goes for the program, and then at the end it gives um, a small description on the vision we have for the future. All right, this is our brother in Malimo from Corcoran State Prison. Okay, you know, the the program doesn't really change around here, so the atmosphere is still subtle. Everybody's pretty much just trying to keep their heads above water because you never know what the day's going to bring. Right. Well, uh, speaking of, I mean, you know that there's a resurgence of COVID happening. What's happening over there? How are you guys holding it down? Well, so far... They did bring people from San Quentin down here, people who, you know, didn't want to refuse to go, and they put them on the other yard. And that other yard is still quarantined because the virus did spread, which is what we think 
the COs are trying to do on purpose, or Sacramento is trying to do on purpose, because if you really didn't want the virus to spread, you would keep transferring people. So uh, my yard is all negative, and C yard is all negative, but B yard is where there's still a problem. Then, of course, there's still a problem at set up because they brought, they sent people over there from over here. What's, what feels funny is that when this CSP Corcoran had the virus real bad, set up didn't. And then they still did transfers and things like that. And now that it's not that bad here at CSP, it just skyrocketed and set up. So it seems like they want to spread it. You know, the COs aren't really taking the right uh, measures that they should be taking. And when we start filing 602s about it, because they would get tested, be positive, and still can come back to work after five days, when we said, no, that's not going to work for us because that shows you that you don't care about our health, then they start saying, okay, well, we'll make them stay out for the whole 14 and let them come back. But if they had it still in their system, they could still carry it. So now they're saying, well, they can't come back until they give a negative test, which is what we want. So we, we believe that they're trying to spread it on purpose, you know, to try to kill us off. I mean, that's the only thing that would make sense to us. And like I said, we're doing the best we can taking care of ourselves, um, staying healthy, you know, considering to wash our hands, staying six feet apart. A lot of people are staying in their cells. Most people going to work are critical workers. Um, and, you know, just doing the best that we can. You uh, were able to talk with the assistant warden um, a couple weeks ago, is that right? And have you been able to right, speak right. with the assistant warden or the warden since? Well, no, not since then. The assistant warden was able to walk on the yard because we we had, we had seen our 602s and then some of the habeas corpus, the medical 602s that Pan had sent to a few people, uh, he caught wind of that being going out, so he wanted to know what the atmosphere was like. And uh, some of us did, like me, I'm a critical worker who worked in laundry, so I was able to uh, put him, you know, put him to the side and say, hey, look, this is my complaint, and this is coming from a few other people. And he had the captain with him who was already familiar with what was going on, a lieutenant and a couple of sergeants. And we just brought to his attention, you know, our concerns is our health, you know, and if you don't, you know, allow the buildings to carry hand sanitizer and stop saying, well, because it has alcohol in it, you know, uh, allow the COs to pass out the cleaning supplies and um, make these COs not come to work until they're negative, you know, then, you know, we're going to have health issues and health concerns. And we care about ourselves if you guys don't. And here's a phone call from a woman whose loved one, fiancé, is in Kern Valley State Prison. Uh, yes, hi. Thank you so much, uh, Mrs. Nupe. Um Actually, my name is Debbie, and I do have a fiancé, um, actually, that is um, residing at Kern Valley State Prison, um, and he is in B2 block, and he has served over 85% of his time, and uh, he does have medical problems such as chronic asthma and other medical problems. Um, and I was just really, really worried. Um, I thought that they were supposed to let him out. Um, I don't know what's going on, and I'm really, really worried. Of course, uh, as you should be. Um, and I'm sure you probably know about the court order that um, was put out to CDCR to, to decrease the prison population at San Quentin by 50%. And we all know that there is now raging uh, corona, uh, sorry, um, yes, 
uh, the COVID virus is raging through our prisons and Kern Valley State Prison in particular, just over the past couple of weeks went from one case to now, um, I think so, there's actually over 80 cases in, in actually in Kern Valley State Prison. Okay, all right. So to speak. Mm-hmm. And has your loved one been able to tell you? Um, have you been? Yeah, have you been able? Well, to basically, what I can him? tell you, what I can tell you, and what I can remember uh, him telling me that actually I have sent packages to him. Um, and they're not giving him um, his packages. Um, actually, he also needs dental work, and uh, he's hurt pretty, really bad in his mouth. And they say that because of the COVID-19, they won't do any work on him. So he's constantly living with excruciating pain in his mouth. I thought he was supposed to be released, and I heard word that they're transporting COVID-19 patients from St. Quentin to Kern Valley State Prison when they were supposed to be releasing them. So I'm just, like, really, really worried right now so i don't know did he have these issues before covid 19 he had um he had asthma and then he did have asthma and then i guess he got found out with something else that please forgive me i don't remember the name of it but something else medically wrong with him as well so he did have asthma before and they knew this and he's not like he hasn't killed anyone he's just you know he's done way over his time and he was supposed to have been released a while back, but he's still not released. And I was hoping due to this coronavirus, he would have been released sooner. But no, it's actually who knows how long. They don't even have a date. Right. So, in fact, they're not really following any kind of protocol. They're not. That would they're not. To keep people safe because he had an underlying issue that um, was exacerbated, that is continually exacerbated by COVID-19 is what I'm hearing. And so he was- And, a- let, me not, and let, me not, mm-hmm. let me not forget to mention that there is a coronavi- uh, coronavirus patient right next to him. Mm-hmm. Right, that are testing positive. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, can, I, I can't imagine your anxiety, although I could when my loved one was still um, locked up. Um, it was, of course, um, of great concern. Um, can I ask you about how his um, his medical conditions were being treated before COVID-19? Just kind of establish a little bit of a pattern here. He... Before COVID-19, they were barely taking care of him. Mm-hmm. And then we always had to wait weeks before he got seen because he had to put in a form and then they delayed it and delayed it. And finally, weeks later, they saw him. So they never treated him actually nice at uh, Kern Valley State Prison. Uh, but we will look at that. What would you like for us to do, if anything, with the public out here? I mean, uh, I would like for, you know, you guys' voice and my voice to be heard and just let him out. I mean, what else? He's very, he's very much needed out here. Mm. He, has got, he, has, he has completed so many certificates, which, by the way, half of those certificates he didn't even get credit for, mind you. He should have been out. Mm-hmm. So it's like they want to keep him there. I don't know, keep him in there, I guess, maybe because they're making money off of him. I'm not sure how it works, but that's mm-hmm. just, I just think he's wrong. It's wrong. It's really wrong. I mean, he's been in there 18 years, and he didn't even kill anyone. He didn't even have a weapon. Mm-hmm. So that goes to show you, I mean, yes, he needs to come out. That's what I would like for that, the outcome, of course. Okay. 
Well, we do um, uh, definitely hear you. You have that support. We are constantly asking people to call the prisons, uh, to call the governor, and express our grievances out here as community members who are in allyship um, with our community members that have loved ones inside. And so um, we, we are calling for release. We do ask for people to call the governor, and so I'm going to just say that right now. The number is 916-445-2841. Please call the governor and say that we want people that are qualified to be released to be released immediately to their families um, or or to our communities so that they can and we can uh, better take care of them so that they are not subjected to a um, death by COVID-19 and they can get the needs they need met. And also call the warden and and call and Thank um, you. and ask for people to, to be released. You don't need to know their names. There are plenty. There are hundreds of people that need to be released to their families and don't have the opportunity to speak up. So this is where we can start getting our voices heard. Thank you. Thank you to Debbie. Thank you also for your courage to call and and just uh, yeah, just being proactive and and doing what you can to to get these voices out. All right, I encourage you all, if you have not yet seen the video that Malik Washington of the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper put out, it is on, I encourage you to look at it, it is on their IGTV, just go to the San Francisco Bayview's Instagram page and watch that video. This is the video that inspired uh, Debbie to uh, reach out and make this, this call. All right, we are now going to hear from a prisoner from Ohio. Yeah, this is uh, Conrad Easley. My last name, E-A-S-L-E-Y. My number is 306-400. I'm at the Toledo, Ohio Correctional Facility. Um, in Ohio, I'm in the quarantine unit. I've been in the quarantine unit since Friday. Um, and... Um, I'm waiting on all my test results to see if I test positive for COVID. <clears throat> every day they've been filling the block up. Um, people been coming in here in the quarantine unit every day um, with symptoms of COVID. And uh, I'm, I just declared a hunger strike tonight um, because we're not getting uh we're not, they're not putting us in the hospital infirmary. We're not getting medical treatment or care or nothing like that. Um, they just got us sitting in quarantine and pretty much that's it. You know, giving us calm drops, aspirin or whatever. Uh, one of the comrades, Jason Goodlock, his brother, on Friday, uh, did a Zoom interview with WTLL, Channel 11, local news. And, um, it went viral and the National Guard came in. The National Guard been in here since, uh, Friday. Um, and my other neighbor said, his family said last night, breaking news in Cleveland, Ohio, that uh, um, Richmond prison and this prison um, has been having outbreaks, spikes and outbreaks, but the National Guard is here at Toledo. I don't know about Richmond, because I guess we got it the worst. The outbreak is the worst, so the National Guard is here, but we're still not getting proper medical treatment and proper care or whatever. Um other than that, as of right now, I have a loss of taste and loss of smell. Um, I did have body aches and sweats, but I've been uh, getting—I've been taking showers and popping cough drops and taking metaproxen, 
<clears throat> and uh, stuff like that. A little aspirin, ibuprofen and stuff, but we're not getting nothing, nothing heavy or whatever. Um, but the metaproxen and <clears throat> the metaproxen and the showers and all that stuff doesn't help ease the pain. That's how I ease the pain in my my, my limbs and in my body while I'm able to sleep. This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. I went on to ask easily why there is a National Guard response to COVID-19 uh, outbreaks in the prison. He went on to refer to a San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper article that appeared sometime in the summer. If you have that uh, print copy of the newspaper, I suggest you check it out. Um, here is his response. The, the National Guard... So what I've been reading and covering in the news is the National Guard comes in when it, when the prison gets extreme, extremely bad in the COVID outbreak. And um, I was reading something in the news where that's the, the word was that they're, that's all I was reading in the Associated Press is that when the prison has an outbreak, they're going to start sending the National Guard in to the most serious hit prisons. And that was during uh, when Marion, Marion Correctional Institution had 1,600 prisoners te uh, tested positive out of 2,000. Um, other than that, I don't know, I don't know, uh, what was the protocol or what happened after that. Um, uh, all I know is a nurse that died, a nurse that died, um, the COVID, they got it back under control, but as of right now here, there, nothing is being done really. Like I said, we seen we seen the doctor yesterday, uh, but they just asking us, hey, you know, what's your symptoms? Uh, how are you feeling? And we keep telling them, hey, you know, loss of taste, loss of smell. We were ruling. They just so God's been complaining like, uh, well. What are we doing? We just sitting in quarantine, and they say, "Yeah, well, the, the, the nurse said that's what they do on the streets. They they go into quarantine." And um, as of right now, I'm waiting on my, te my test results. And we like, well, shit, you don't just sit in quarantine if you if you're sick and you having symptoms. Uh, I then asked about protocols or guidelines that the guards are, or the correctional officers are using to send people home. Um, that's what we was just talking about earlier. It's a guy down, it's a guy three cells down from me. He goes home in nine days. And he was just saying, uh, that they was telling, something about that they were saying that he could, he could apply to go home early or something. But he said, uh, nothing came about. He didn't get no early release or nothing. And he going home on his regular time in nine days. And, um, so, uh, that's as far as I know. Uh, that the, the last time they was letting prisoners go home early was back in like April, and um, that was when the governor, when the governor's office actually made the the governor actually made the call. As of right now, put it like this: we're we're not priority. We're not on the priority list right now. It's gonna take. 
it's going to take a campaign, it's going to take a massive campaign to the governor's office to bring attention to the outbreak on the inside because there's so much out, there's so much going on on the outside, like so many hospitals and it's being overwhelmed with people being sick and dying on the outside that are, uh, I guess they're not really focused on the prisons right now. All right. Well, here at Prison Focus Radio on KPOO San Francisco 89.5, you are a priority. Prisoners are a priority. The voices of the prisoners and their families are a priority because these are our community members. What Easley just talked about is a human rights crisis. Or if you're an abolitionist like I am, it's the continuation of a crime against humanity called slavery, which is taking place within our prisons. Please call the governor at 916-445-2841. That's Governor Newsom. If you know the governor in Ohio, call him. You can call from another state. And please make donations to this radio station if you can, please, by going to kpoo.com. You can uh, make donations there online. You can also Send a check-in to KPOO P.O. Box 156-650, San Francisco, California, 94115. I want to encourage you to donate. If you can't donate, educate. Please, if you care, share. Share whatever you can, your time, your finances, your knowledge. Also, go to sfbayview.com. Make a donation there. Uh, we need all of we need all of these community um, institutions to stay alive so that we can get our needs met so that people like prisoners are not forgotten. All right. Also go to uh, prisons.org. That's California Prison Focus's website. I want you to go to that website also and go to their calendar. Not only if you can donate, share the wealth where you can, but go to the calendar uh, to get ready for the Artivists in Action and Solidarity Ratcliffe Awards that will be taking place December 7th. It's going to be an amazing uh, Zoom event. I believe it will be live-streamed on Facebook. You can get the details at prisons.org. Go to their calendar and continue to get the updates there. There's some people, we love you. I also want you to get involved with the Liberate Our Caged Elders social media campaign. All I'm asking you to do is call the governor, 916-445-2841. He must hear from us about our issues, about what um, is on our minds and on our hearts. Let him hear from you. He's, we are his boss. We are paying him. He has no right not to listen to us. We are trying to free get our elders released. We have people that have been suffering, that have suffered the torture of solitary confinement for decades. These are people that have been caged for decades, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, some of these people. They are elders into their 70s. Why are they not being released to come home? Governor Newsom is going to have blood on his hands and families and loved ones are going to suffer. This is not okay on our watch. People, please call him. Because despite the court order for San Quentin to reduce their population by 50%, of course, they arbitrarily gave discretion to CDCR to figure out how they're going to do that. 
So they're using transfers instead of releases. And that's exactly what's spreading COVID-19 and creating more outbreaks throughout our state's prisons once again. All right, beautiful people. Thank you for joining me this week. I'm your host, Nube, on Prison Focus Radio. Let's do this. Let's make people the priority. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer.